Welcome to another episode of Employability Matters, a careers-related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work. We feature special guests sharing their personal career journey, as well as provide you with job search tips and relatable advice with your host, Sophia Lewis. Joining us today, we have Ofe Kodaboko, who will be sharing her insights about her career journey as an occupational therapist working within the NHS. Ofe completed her degree at Plymouth University and has risen throughout the ranks. She has vast experience within this occupation, including working in a senior role in emergency medicine, frailty, as well as placement coordinator for student learning. So let's get started. I'm happy today. Well, I'm always happy, happy, happy (laughs) to have a, for me, it is quite an unknown occupation. You hear it with regards to, you know, health, Um, You know, when you're going to the hospital, you may hear the the term that I'm going to say, but what does it involve? So we have a wonderful friend. Her name is Ofe and Ofe will be talking about her job as an occupational therapist. So welcome Ofe, how are you doing today? Hi, hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm well, thank you. It's been a busy week at work. as always and um, but thanks for having me here <laughs> no you're welcome you're welcome because um i am so happy to be able to highlight you know job roles within can i say the nhs or the healthcare yeah. industry yeah, yeah, you know yeah. which are not really talked about you know we know about midwives we know about doctors but mm. an occupational therapist <laughs> you mm. know what yeah. is that and what does your job involve yeah Right, so where do I start from? We are a profession that is not really talked about. When you hear, when, when we say our profession, you're like, you mean physio? No, we're occupational therapists. <laughs> we're occupational therapists. Right, where do I start from? So our role is so broad. We can go from working with um, refugees, which is role emerging to working in A&E, like I do, trying to prevent hospital admissions. Um, We as a profession, what our main goal and aim is to empower and enable people. It could be people from different cultures, ages, backgrounds, whether through physical health, because we are trained in physical and mental health and also social aspects as well. So it could be to empower them, enable them to engage in occupations. What I mean by occupations is activities that they want to engage in. So it could be a less abled people, enabling them to achieve you know goals that they want to achieve so it's all about empowerment it's all about enabling it's all about client being client-centered and person-centered in as an occupational therapist we work in different sectors and as the has pointed out in hospitals in schools with children and when you go into pediatrics and in prisons in mental health um, institutions, forensics, I mean, name it, you will find an occupational therapist. Our role is so broad. Our scope covers lots and lots of specialities and areas. I mean, I could tell you about it all day, but I think as we, you know, deep dive deeper into the interview, you'll be hearing a lot more about what we do. Well, a lot about what I do and a lot about, you know, 
other areas in occupational therapy as well so I hope that <laughs> no that's really good that. no that's <laughs> really really good because like, yeah. before um I was sort of like trying to do some research you know to show mm. myself approved type of thing you know mm. yeah <laughs> I, I reminded myself of a film I don't know if you've watched it um just right with um Queen Latifah and Common it could be maybe at least could be 15 to 20 years old. I think film. I remember, was he a basketball player? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. I think was I remember basket- watching that film. Yes. Yeah. And it's sort of like, I'm saying to myself, I must ask Ofe, is this similar to what you do? I know she was a physical therapist, mm. but when you say occupational therapist, I'm thinking to myself of, so in terms of occupations, if I mm. needed help, if I became injured, would then my organization call you in order to help me to be um, in, um, Indep- back to get yourself back to independence? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So give us so, a um, then. Yeah. So um, as I work in A and E, um, well, I touch on that film first, actually. So physios tend to look at immobility, muscles, exercise, and all of that. Whereas OTs we will take it up from there. So we'll basically take it up and we'll look at your function. So if you look at you walking to a cupboard, as an OT, I will look at you reaching to a cupboard to maybe get a tea bag, bringing that down and actually using your upper limbs, range of movement to be able to make that property. So that's why we call ourselves enablers of occupation. Mm. yeah so physios look at your sort of mobility your movement your gait which is your walking whereas um OTs will look at sort of your function however I work in A&E and I'm sort of doing a dual role actually so as I said traditionally physios look at mobility but in A&E that's part of my scope of my practice as an A&E therapist so in a snapshot in A&E we're looking at um in terms of walk um if a patient's coming they could be coming because of a fall um you know trauma um i tend to work with any age um 18 to about 100 plus <laughs> um we tend to see more, more elderly people though more elderly patients so yes yeah, someone could come in with a fall they might have like a, a knee injury and my role will be obviously to get them up get them walking see if they need any walking aids and see if I can maybe get them home with carers to support them and community therapy to you know follow up with their function and their mobility and try to get them back into dependence so in a snapshot I'm meeting that person's interim needs to be able to get them home prevent them from coming into hospital as you know at the moment the bed pressure with coronavirus they're gold dust and we're trying to not to keep people in a hospital as well due to the virus so in a snap so things I do like in my day-to-day and um, say I liaise with consultants nurses I'm part of the frailty team and that's an area in sort of general a speciality actually in general medicine and um, looking at the those who have a lot of comorbidities that are approaching you know later life or and start start getting frail so I'm part of that team and we're sort of work working with nurses and pharmacists frailty practitioners geriatrician consultants you know to enable yeah to uh, to 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 look at a patient holistically so not just the medical reason why they're here but socially as well you know how 
yeah, when they get back home. So it's quite a large scope, but mainly I'm looking at acupuncture and mobility. Can they get on and off bed? Do they need carers to help them get washed and dressed? I'm looking at their gates. I'm looking at aids. I'm also looking at follow-up care and who's going to, you know, support the patient when they go home. So imagine having, takes a lot of time. So imagine having like five to six patients a day. <laughs> five to six <laughs> patients a day. So how? Because the, it varies. It varies. It varies. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, nobody wanted to come into hospital. So I was actually um, redeployed to um, support on the COVID ward to see patients. And patients with COVID can scope from being as well and as vocal and functional as me. Um, but obviously needing monitoring in terms of their oxygen and things in the wards, or you could, or you could go to like the end scale where they're very very poorly, and then they move to um, ITU. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, as you said, the scope of your work is extremely mm. wide. But the mm. key thing. For anybody thinking about being an occupational therapist, yeah. the importance of working mm. with interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary teams, you're mm. working with many different types of other wow. occupations within yeah. the NHS, isn't it? So, yes. for example, a patient will come in, but yet, did you mention a community nurse, a doctor, possibly? Yeah, so in the hospital, in, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as occupational therapists, we work and we call them multiple multidisciplinary teams. So you will find us in any multiple disciplinary team, whether it's in mental health, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a hospital, whether it's in a community, whether it's in prison. I mean, our scope is so wide. I remember having a placement, um, second year placement, when I was still studying, working with refugees and asylum seekers. So. Our scope is is so wide, and we work as as part of the teams and as and, and as independent OTs as well. Um, we are in the private sector as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what we must remember. <laughs> it's always the NHS as well as the private sector. So, if somebody yeah. was thinking about, um, you know, possibly becoming an occupational therapist, do mm. it. <laughs> do yes, it. do it. Do it. So we are in demand always in demand there's always a occupational therapist jobs and just like any other apart from obviously doctors um any other healthcare professionals we found we when you graduate you'll be a band five and then you make work your way up the band in scale which is the, known as the nhs agenda for pay okay um, so awesome. yes do it they're always they're always um looking for ot's i'm very proactive in like student learning people who are interested in you know becoming an occupational therapist i'm for my trust i'm actually one of the placement coordinators so i liaise with other um clinicians even clinicians above me um, regarding student placements and work with um our placement um team to you know encourage clinicians to be able to you know have more students so yeah OT awesome. career I mean I can speak for days about you know physical OT but um, I haven't delved into mental health because I when I graduated I knew I wanted to be in the physical part of occupational therapy but we're also training the mental health so you can work with um, learning disabilities you can work with um, 
forensic units, those jobs going in prisons. So um, yes, just it was, it's all about doing your research yes. and, you know, sort of matching yourself and putting yourself in that role and seeing if that's for you really. Because as an OT, you need a lot of a lot of skills. <laughs> a a lot, lot, of, lot of skills, isn't patience, it? We're going to talk patience, about those. Yeah. Patience is one of them. <laughs> and, and it's so weird because I, I've never been a very patient person. So it's it's really humble to me. Seriously, that's surprising. So, so most probably, is it? Would you say that your job has um, developed that quality within oh, you, being yeah. patient? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I would say yes. It's definitely yeah. Being patient has it definitely brought that um, and endurance as well. It's, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yes. Also, <laughs> because got those qualities out. I would love to hear about your inspiration. You know, did you always mm. knew from young that you wanted to work within, um, was, what, was it health industry, health? Yeah, yeah. So health I've and social knew, care? Yeah. So I've always known I wanted to work in health, but I didn't like the fact that I didn't like needles and I don't like blood. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> me neither, because you know what it's oh. like? Oh, I'll tell you what it's like whenever I go to for an appointment and they said, mm. oh, Sophia, we need to check your eye in, for example. OK, yeah, it takes them forever. They're always mm. poking around in my face. <laughs> oh, I spoke to you, didn't I? Yeah. And you yeah. said to me, what lovely advice did you say to me? <laughs> I said, because um, you were going to get blood, I believe. So yes. I, 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 I said that when you get there, run. Um, so your veins can be pumped and drink lots of water so you can be hydrated because when you're hydrated it makes it easier to find veins that's one of the skills I've picked up working in A&E um so thank you for your advice (laughs) do you know what I mean sorry I can digress but let's get back onto your inspiration yeah yeah so I've always um known I wanted to work in health um from a young age, but I didn't like needles and I didn't like um, like the sight of blood. So I believe when it was, uh, my grandma, I think believe she had a heart attack and um, she had to go for what we call cardio um, physio. Um, so I spoke to the physio then and I was like, oh, can I get some experience? Cause I was testing out other, you know, health professionals rather than nursing. Um, so I went there and it was a lot of exercise, they were doing relaxation um, sessions, but I was just like, I want more than this. I want to make, you know, an impact on someone. I want to see them progress. I want to see them, you know, be independent. Um, and I wanted something because I'm a very creative person. So I just wanted that creative aspect. And I was speaking to Fiji and she was like, mm, have you heard of occupational therapy? Bearing in mind, this was when I was, and I was, yeah, this was when I was um, in my, in year 12, first year available. So have you heard of occupational therapy? And I was like, oh no, no I haven't heard of occupational therapy. And um, anyway, she described it. I shadowed an occupational therapist on a ward. It was in trauma and orthopedic where um, that area is basically broken bones. Um, And I really, really liked what the OT was doing, you know, enabling the patient to get back into independence, even though it was with equipment, just helping them, you know, achieve goals. And it it could be small goals that they wanted to, you know, bend down to put their shoes on and things like that. And it was just a bit more meaningful for me. 
Um, unfortunately, as well, that year, my um, auntie passed away with um, leukemia. And uh, she was a nurse. Um, so again, that experience, I was like, I really want to help people. I want to help somebody. And you find a lot of OTs working for palliative care, which is patients who, um, you know, are on the verge of passing away and also end of life care. You are sort of pretty much at the end of life stage um, and um, will pass away. So um, see my auntie in that sort of stage was just hit home with me and I was like, yes, I'm, I want to make that impact and change and make the days more meaningful. You know, um, one of my first rotations as a, when I qualified was um, sort of the person to go to, I would have to, I was working in surgery, but I would have to leave my caseload in surgery to go and support and a patient who we called fast track in back home because they were in their dying days and they wanted to be at home surrounded by their loved ones so I'll literally leave my work go to their house put in hospital bed equipment everything that I can to make them get home and um I just that just really like for me was just meaningful and I made a change and an impact and it's sort of like their dying wish so um um yeah when my auntie passed away and mainly was like yeah I think occupational therapy is what what I wanted to do and I applied for it, <laughs> got into university. Awesome. <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you worked as an occupational therapist? So it will be six years in November. Wow. Awesome. Six years in November. Um, awesome. Worked in A&E for the past about four, nearly four years um, as an A&E emergency, emergency, a accident emergency A&E looking also in frailty as well so frailty as well so a and e and frailty to come together so what are the yeah. routes um into your industry did you take the traditional route yeah so i took a levels um so you don't need to you need to have social science so you don't necessarily per se you need a biology or chemistry things like that so i did um sociology well i started when i was in yeah, 12 I started with biology sociology psychology um, and English literature um, I dropped biology and I carried forward with um, sociology psychology and um, English literature and there's a lot of sociology and psychology as well what involved in, in becoming in, an OT yes yes so oh. you know psychology because OTs are actually trained in mental health and physical health and that's our very that's a very strong selling point as an OT. Mm. So a lot of psychology that I learned really really helped me in my first year of A level. Mm. Um, so that's what I done. There are other ways, and there are some um, people that I also sort of support in doing um, in you know when they want to apply to be an occupational therapist. Um, they doing an access course um so they didn't obviously not go through the traditional school 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 route you'll find a bit more older people than you know school age taking that route um and other qualifications as well it just depends on which university and what their sort of entry requirements are a new thing which started out in 2019 and i will pass you on the links as well Sophia, if anybody right. asks 
um, what's called degree apprenticeships. So there's some universities affiliated um, with the Royal College of Occupational Therapy in, in, you know, after, you know, you've done a degree apprenticeship, you can actually become an occupational therapist qualified and registered with um, HCPC, that's our registration body, Healthcare Professions Council. Um, so what it is, is you'll find a, a let's say, a occupational therapy assistant job um, or technician job, and you can um, ask them to sort of support you in a degree apprenticeship. You have lectures at uni, you will have, it'll be paid work for you as well. NHS will give you um, some money towards it as well. Um, so you are supported. Um, you just got to find, you know, trusts that are NHS trusts that are in support of this and universities that do this. And um, I'll send Sophia the link for anyone that wants to go through that route as well, you know, to become an occupational therapist. So there are different routes because I went did it through school doesn't mean you know that's the gospel route. There are different routes. You just got to do your do your research and you know you can start by looking at the links that I forward to Sophia. So there are there are there are different routes. And um, you know in when I was studying NHS actually paid for my tuition fees. Awesome. Yeah. So as well whilst as you was at whilst you was at university, so full time paid for your degree. Full time, my three year degree. NHS. So you got a scholarship. Basically, you can call it like that. Yeah. It was for everyone. It was for nurses. It was for OTs. It was for physios. And unfortunately, they've stopped it. Oh wow! Unfortunately, they've stopped it. And um, I hope they do bring it back. Mm. because that was a selling point for healthcare and I remember when they first stopped it there was a initial decline in people applying for healthcare roles but I think it's picked up now um but yes they they paid for my tuition fees they gave me a bursary as well so um I was one of the lucky ones I was one of the lucky ones I believe they stopped it in 2000 I think two years after myself so 2017, I believe that was right. the last cohort that we were able to do that. Now, um, people are paying their tuition fees. Heritage will still give bursaries, though, from what I understand. Okay. And if you are traveling from your placement and it's not within your local area of the university, they will pay for your transport. Um, so, yes, um, that was luckily I was part of that luckily, cohort. Thank God. I remember when I was going to university, I mean, mm. those were like back in the days in terms of we used to get a grant and our tuition mm. fees were paid for as well, yeah. you know, and they stopped it when we had a change of government, you know, mm. but it is such a great selling point because we do need individuals working within the healthcare industry. I mean, yes, I mean you know, coronavirus has proved that point, you know. A lot of nurses, I know a lot of nurses, I know a few occupational therapists who have actually retired oh. but came back to support. So, you know, <laughs> um, there is demand. There is, there is demand. demand. And there I can guarantee demand. OTs, there's always demand for occupational yeah. therapists. Oh my gosh, let you people, come on people, let's get on it. So let's talk about the career progression. What mm. is the career progression avenues within your um, occupation? Yeah, so um, when you first qualify, you qualify as a band five, um, you'll be registered with the Healthcare Professionals Council. 
um, you can do as a band via you. I would advise, you don't have to, you might know an area you like and want to stay there, be uh, statics, what I mean, permanent and not rotate around, but I went for rotation. So it, um, as a band fire, the rotations that I did were in surgery. Um, so patients that have had surgeries, that have had a stoma put in, um, you know, a bit of cut off of their bowels and, you know, um, yeah, so I've looked at patients there, vascular surgery as well, amputees. Yeah, some people need amputations because um, they've gangrened in their legs. Yeah, because of diabetes or diabetes something. Diabetes is yeah. one, yes, yes, exactly. So I've looked at patients like that, but in that area, I've worked in orthopedics trauma, patients who are needing um, orthopedics trauma, patients who are needing um, total hip replacement, knee replacement, shoulder replacements, things like that, but a fractured humerus, which is the sort of ball joints at the top of your shoulder oh, I've um, got issues with that <laughs> can give you some range of movement exercise yeah I've got issues with that I tell um, you something I just woke up one morning and I couldn't put my arm towards my back I was like oh what's going oh, on there oh, we'll talk about that later <laughs> we will do so that's part of the things I look at your range of awesome. movement mm. um so um yeah I've walked I've worked in um respiratory get a lot of COPD patients we monitor their oxygen and things like that. I look at fatigue and anxiety, lots of anxiety management. Even though I'm working with physical health, they're all, the patients also have mental health needs that I sort of give them a bit of advice about. So um, I've worked in emergency medicine as well. One area I didn't do rotation was in stroke or neurology, okay. which we do look at, which we do say is one of our cores. Just that the rotation I went on wasn't. Um, that wasn't part of it so that is something it's a good one to go into as well and um, so that was my experience as a band five and um, now as a band six um, so I applied for a job as a um, as a band six occupational therapist because I knew I loved emergency medicine I'm very to the point snapshot decisions working as an MDT so as a team MDT um, what's that M MDT so M multi multidisciplinary team right mm -hmm. um so that as i said it consists of nurses doctors um, and aside from the general nurses we actually have nurses and doctors and pharmacists and social workers for what we call our frailty team um who look at patients elderly patients more holistically um so you've got the pharmacists who look at the medications, the OTs look at sort of daily functions, how they're going to manage physio looks at ability. Whereas in my AE role, I look at physio and OT, sort of traditional roles. Um, so um, yes, that's my experience as a six. Um, as a six as well, you have students, so you're involved in student learn training. Awesome. I've had about three students. I'm due a student in April as well. <laughs> Awesome. Um, and what um, does that involve? What what do you do with the students? So um, in first year unis, it varies, but some unis first year have eight weeks with you. Right. Second year, um, a block of 10 weeks and their final year, 12 weeks. So yeah. it's a lot of time. So you can imagine working in a fast paced environment and you're having this, you have to teach a student or observe a student. It's a lot of work and a lot of training goes into it. 
So like, you know, you're working in a fast-paced A&E environment and you have to have a student with you. It can be a bit of a daunting experience to them because of the snapshots of the decisions um, they're having, you know, to make in conjunction with me as well. The different, because in any anything can come through the door. I had a patient the other day that had a mice infestation. I mean, a, a bed bug infestation as well. So any any anything can Hold come on for a minute. Hold <laughs> up, wait a minute. <laughs> a bed bug infestation. Yes. What they brought yes. the bed bugs in with them to the hospital? It was in it was it was part of what the paramedics wrote on their sort of their notes when they went to go and see the patient who had a fall and found that he had bed bugs and bites everywhere on, on him. Oh. He had to come into hospital because they needed to image him because the paramedics thought that he might have fractured his ankle, you know. So um he, he, we don't know if he brought it with him. So it, yeah. <laughs> anything can walk through the domains and the doors of A&E. And as occupational therapists, um, and my fellow occupational therapists will agree with me, consultants and doctors who want to push their patient out for discharge feel that we can sort out everything, should be able to sort out things in a snapshot. <laughs> so I'm on the phone back and forth with social services. I work close shout out to all my social workers yes yes because wow. they do they do a lot um so yeah and you know having students going back onto the topic of having students especially in the final year you're actually signing them off to say that they're competent in becoming an occupational therapist so it's a very very important role having a student um, there's a lot of um, teachers it's an enjoyable experience as well because you get to share your knowledge you get to I mean we've been out of uni now I've been out of uni nearly six years and they're still current in uni so you know keeping up to up-to-date practice they jog my memory on that awesome. so it's a it's a rewarding thing for me myself I can see what's new out there in the OT world you know from a uni's uni students sort of view and fresh even though we have to keep our practice up to date but it's just always good to have a student quizzing you on quizzing your knowledge on that it's true it goes to show oh my gosh what do i need extra to to maybe learn upon or or yes mm. i know this type of thing yeah. but one yeah. thing that you highlighted is that you sign students um observations or so in a sense are you also an assessor for when uh, um, students come in to do their placements yeah yeah so i'm a, we call them student practice educator so i'll be i'm an educator um so you to, to do that you go to the university i remember i went to i did my practice education course at university of northampton so i had two days which was a lot of information learning about what is expected of year one year year one two and three yeah, 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 the first year of OT students, what's expected from them, second year OT students, what's expected, and third year OT, OT students, what's expected from them. So it's a lot of information, a lot of guidance, a lot of nurturing. Yeah. Um, and as you said, patience. And collaboration as well. Mm. I mean, they're so helpful. <laughs> they're so helpful to, you know, day-to-day -day tasks and, you know, um, introducing patients to students as well getting confidentiality is a very big thing in health in general so 
on consent as well, very big thing. So yes, and I'm, a, I'm a also a placement coordinator. So I work with, yeah, I work with universities here in London um, with clinicians who want to have students. I pair them up. I tell them what students are available and just encourage people to have students. I mean, there was a backlog with COVID. Luckily, the student I had last year, she managed to finish her placement and then lockdown came. And then when lockdown came, my senior was like no more students so every student physio and ot placement initially then was cancelled now obviously with covid we're a bit more aware of what it is and we try and support our students as best as we can okay so placements are still taking place placements are still taking place but unfortunately a lot of the cohort who should have graduated last summer mm -hmm. um when I find placements from what I hear from student feedback so um yeah that's quite unfortunate COVID COVID, yes, COVID. COVID. You know, I yeah, say. But, um, now we're having we are having students um and yeah trying to get clinicians to offer spaces in their area specialty to have a student so um yeah <laughs> awesome you do you're doing yeah. a lot and you're doing a lot of great stuff what I love oh. is that you are able to give back you know you were once a mm. student before but now yeah. you know yeah. you are an experienced practitioner yes and you're yeah. able to educate to mentor mm. to encourage mm. and inspire you know yeah. your your students you know who yeah. want to become an OT and I think yeah. that is a key isn't it to be mm. able to be in that position in order to give back. So what was yes. your, your first year like um, after university working in hospital? <laughs> what was that oh, like for you? It was a bit of a shock to Yeah, me. can imagine. Mm. Because first of all, when I was in uni, each placement I did was never in a hospital. Mm. It was never in a hospital? What? what? Okay. So I actually hadn't worked in a hospital prior to going on a rotation as a band five. So I learned lots. And so I hold had on to... a minute. Sorry. <laughs> hold on a minute. So when you, okay. Cause I know earlier we said when you become an OT, you'll either work in the public or the private sector, but yeah, you definitely exactly. would be working within a hospital. So the majority of the occupational therapists would be working within a hospital setting. Is that correct? Yeah, they could work in a hospital setting, in schools, in communities. Oh, schools. Right, but the majority would they quite, be working? Yeah, quite a lot yeah. of people go to physical health groups. Okay. Um, and then wow. even in mental health, you can work on secured units. You can, mm. yeah, so even forensics okay. and prisons. So, mm. yeah, um, so I, I'll go back down the timeline. So my first year, I worked in adult social care. And that was for being an occupational therapist within sort of like your local council. So they're the ones that look at, you know, adaptations to the property, like, you know, walk and shower for elderly patients um, look at um, providing equipment as well. So that was sort of my, it was very, very heavy equipment based role. Second year I was working um, with um, refugees with asylum, a bit with asylum seekers, getting them to sort of get integrated into the community. 
um, refugees applying for job roles and things like that. So that was all about social inter um, integration. And then my final year placement, I was working in a wheelchair service. So I would have months old babies who needed supportive buggies because they were born with con congenital diseases. Oh. Yeah, yeah, till about 100 years old. Oh. So this till about ages 100, you need a wheelchair because reduced mobility. And, you know, they still wanted to access their outside um, access community. But obviously with reduced mobility, they were not enabled to do that because they couldn't walk far. So giving them a wheelchair enabled them to do that. So um, yeah, none of my placements were in hospital and that even pushed me miles. Like, I want to see what the hospital life's like. Love it. Yeah. And um, I've been in the hospital life ever since. <laughs> later, you're still there. I'm still in the hospital. But when I was offered an opportunity last year, end of last year for about two months, to go and support a community team. So seeing patients in their own home. Oh. Now that shifted my whole mentality. I'd never done community before. So I was so happy to be able to offer that opportunity because their team was short and stuff. So I went and at first I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to go. It's taking me out of my element that I know. Taking out your comfort zone. Exactly. Change mm. and growth. It was really, yes. really good. It was, and that's why I always say it's always good to do rotation. And if it includes a rotation into communities, well, I mean, go go for it. But if you know you want to stay statically in an area, you know, like in pediatrics, you want to just be in that area, I mean, go, go, go for it. Whatever works best for you. I love that. I love that you had added about the importance of personal growth and mm. acquiring more knowledge um, and mm. learning, so that you are showing showing yourself approved, showing that you are an expert within your field. Mm. Yes. You know, that's really yes. key. And yeah, you can advance um, ad, um, advance. You know, in terms of career options, you can go into teaching. You know, um, healthcare, education, England, H E E. They um, there's a lot of roles recently. I don't know where I mean all this money that funded these roles have come from. But Boris Johnson's pocket or Richard. oh, we don't know. But <laughs> um, there's a lot of roles that have recently come out. Healthcare education in sort of teaching roles as well. The lead AHP. Um, her name is Susan Rastrick. She covers all the allied health professions. OT is one of that profession, physio is one of that profession, radiology, dietetics, and other professions are under that bracket. She's actually an occupational therapist. Shout oh. out Susan Rastrick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's up there. She'll never ever see this video, but um, <laughs> yeah, so that's done good in promoting our, um, um, you know, our scope. And it's not just that OT in the hospital, that OT. We are in areas of power and we are in areas of management. Um, as well. Another thing I did want to speak on is what I call an advanced clinical practitioner. Right. Um, now, this is sort of a three-year training program in which you will do different modules and you can sort of be part working alongside a consultant in reviewing patients. Now, this is an advanced practice. And occupate, I know occupational therapists who are currently doing this three-year degree with the NHS Trust that they work in. So they work directly on the doctor. They will review and examine patients just as the doctors do. Now, unfortunately, the only thing OTs can't do is prescribe medication. Right. 
and that's because our registration um our registration professional body sorry not our registration body our professional body which is the royal college of occupational therapists have not given us um sort of they haven't yeah given us the power to be able to do that they won't cover our insurance and things but there are um you know trusts that are taking us on in advanced clinical practice at the end of the degree you become a sort of a band eight four seven um you'll be able to um do sort of examinations like doctors work with doctors put implants with discharge um you sort of won't sort of practice your traditional ot role it will be more advanced and very heavy medically based um you're not a doctor but you are doing quite similar roles mm. um so you'll be known as an advanced clinical practitioner something i will sort of content of like to do but i know a trust will rather get you know let's say for example a physio who are allowed physios are allowed to prescribe i think it was made possible for them in 2007 they are allowed to prescribe it it'll definitely change for ot's hopefully because there, there are a lot of people are pushing for it i do know somebody an ot who's currently in their training for it and their trust has she's a neuro ot works in neurology very skilled and she is currently doing her advanced clinical practice training and the only thing she won't be able to do is um you know prescribe medications which i think is unfortunate really because if you you know to to be to to do, to do the pharmacy module you know it, it's a lot you know you need to know your doses it's you know it's a lot and it's extensive so if you are competent in passing that why can't you do it but that's a ongoing conversation so it's not to say that advanced medical practitioner roles you know they won't take you because you can't prescribe i mean if sort of you fit their criteria you've got a lot of experience there are roles that ot's can can do but just know that you're you won't be able to prescribe i'm just thinking about um if you go through the advanced clinical practitioner route then would you be able to I'm, I'm sure you can but just a question become a pharmacist then so you're able to is that, no. is that a route no. Or no 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 so you mm. no so you won't be able to be a pharmacist okay. no um in general you um physios for example they can do that but they won't be a pharmacist because okay. they're they're able to there's they still be there'll be a because you have a background by an advanced clinical practitioner who can carry out a physical examination of a patient. Mm -hmm. So normally in hospitals, when a patient first comes in, they're examined by a doctor. That's the first person you sort of see, apart from the triage nurse who's asking questions about what happened and why they're in a &E. mm -hmm. So the doctor then comes and does a physical exam. So what an OT would do, rather than waiting from the doctor's confirmation, traditional OT will wait for the doctor's confirmation on the patients for discharge, they're medically fit. Can you assess them and get them ready and home discharge? you would actually be carrying up a physical examination okay. of the patient. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a three years degree. Very intense, I hear. <laughs> Very intense. And, you know, you'll be working again under a doctor um, closely with them throughout your training. So, so my next question from that is, um, so once somebody finishes their A-levels, can they do the advanced clinical practitioner course instead of going no, you would, your route? No, you would okay. need to have a BSc first. Right, okay. You would need okay. to have a degree first mm -hmm. before you can 
do that and it depends on what the job inquiries are so if you read the job description and the person's specification it will tell you what's essential right and what's desirable and what is essential is that you need to have a undergraduate degree okay okay with a ton loads of experience experience Experience, they say counts and matters but you know the same um you know argument about Mm. if somebody's just entering into the job market and they have no experience get get it get experience first if you know you want to sort of go down that deeper into that medical to root mm. through advanced clinical practice it'll take you some time mm. and I think with the OT as well you know some other traditional jobs like you know with accounting you do your degree some people do masters then they do their chartered yeah accounting stuff ACC I believe yes uh, with OT so you start off as a band five then band six then band seven then band eight and nine is sort of consultancy level Mm -hmm. so going from band five to six there's no sort of exam that you need to take it's just your experience and whether whoever's interviewing feel that you can meet the requirements of the role that they've put out in the person's specification and and job description Mm -hmm. of that role so um yeah um and then from again six to seven some don't don't say it's essential for you to again have a master's degree um i'm i'm a band six i'm a senior um band sevens are specialists in their role so and then you've got band eights who are team lead like my current band or my previous band eight she had a um phd she was actually a doctor she's actually a doctor in the field um and she's an ot yes she's actually a doctor in the field um so she um did her her doctorate so things like yeah I would say I tend to see that lots of band eight roles and nine roles they tend to have further education like masters PhDs mm-hmm. um but yes to step up a band in in OT a lot experience counts for a lot of things even if you have masters and PhDs what's your experience that's right. true. Yeah, yeah. Especially within the work that you're doing, you definitely mm-hmm. need to have the experience. That's why I was smiling when you mentioned about the advanced level apprenticeships or the degree level apprenticeships that are mm-hmm. available um, to become um, an OT, which mm-hmm. is yeah. you're able to do the work placement as well as to do the learning side by side. Yeah, and also get paid. <laughs> yeah, get paid too. I mean, you know hallelujah Mm. yeah yeah for that yeah yeah the degree apprenticeships can take about three to four years or longer if you pause Um, but the final goal and destination of what you want to achieve is the main important thing so I would ask people to consider degree apprenticeships as well you know um good advice yeah yeah because it's the main goal what you know the end result becoming notice what you want to achieve and you know if an access course is not for you maybe a degree apprenticeship for you exactly you, you but know, I could, if you're not a school either yeah it's so very true but I can hear the passion you know mm. since we've been talking on how passionate you are about your role um, as an occupational therapist and mm. I would like us to have a, a little discussion about you know the challenges or things mm. that you're most proud of you know since mm. becoming an OT 
Yeah. So challenges, there are challenges that I face every day in A&E, let me just tell you. <laughs> oh, it's an interesting place to work. I, I do love it, even though sometimes I'm under pressure and, you know, we can all just be going back and forth with each other. And there's a lot of um, um, challenges, and, you know, money, what social services can offer. As I said, we work closely with social services as therapists. Um, what they can offer. I think the biggest challenge I would say that I've faced in my career is COVID because that sort of let me know to what extent I could work. And I moved locations. So I moved from Leicester to London in the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yes, to be closer to my family because I was on obviously redeployed to a COVID ward and it, the, the paranoia and the pressure was a lot. So I needed to be around um, family. I would also say I went to a U, one of the challenges that I've also faced, I, well, in becoming OT, I went to a University of Plymouth and um, I was the actual only black girl on my course. So if you think of Plymouth, which is just before Cornwall, and then you're pretty much at the end of the UK. Um, <laughs> you make me laugh pretty much at the end of the UK. <laughs> like down there. Um, so I was the only black. So culturally, and then I had, a, yeah, I, I was sent to like rural locations as well. So, you know, seeing someone of my race, well-spoken, it was a shock to them than what they thought let's say people of my colour were portrayed as. Crazy. And I still get, I know racism at the moment is a big thing. Even in London here, I've had a patient whose relatives have told me, oh, my mum doesn't react well to black carers. I don't know how she's going to react with you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, people, someone asked me, how do I deal with that the other day? And not through passive passive aggression don't give them back don't give them you know back educate them and race is a big thing at the moment um with ot's as well of color ot's who are of color there are if you go on instagram there are groups um there's i think they're, they're called bame ot's black and minority minority ethnic ot there is a group a support group for you um, so I would say, yeah, race has been one of my challenges. And I've worked in some rural areas. I've worked in Sussex. I've worked in Northamptonshire, Leicestershire. I'm back in London. So um, that, that has been a, a challenge in seeing a black OT. Like one of my very first, yeah, very first students, a patient actually, she was from an Asian country and she wore a headscarf and a patient was directly racist towards her. Terrible. Um, he said that he didn't want her touching her because we're very hands-on. Yeah. We're looking at immobility, looking at your function. And if you fall into it, we need to be there to steady you, you know, because mm. um, 
having a fall with a patient in hospital is too much paperwork let me just tell you that, yeah, <laughs> that. so we're very hands-on and we do a lot of personal care you know I, if a patient if I get to a patient I need to assess them functionally and you know their bed is soiled because they are around continent I can't just leave you in there I have a duty to care and look after you and that's a yeah. basic quality mm. you know any healthcare care professional should have to I will need to sort of support you physically you know so um yeah it is out there but you know what there are more and more black OTs and we are breaking barriers awesome. we awesome. are in positions yes. of you know authority we are in higher positions um lo- looking to different trusts you're working in there's always a BAME network there you can be a member you know we're breaking barriers we're breaking down stereotypes you know we are getting to positions of power and I only hope a lot more black OTs because our OT when I you know was saying it, it was a very heavy dominated sort of um white um sort of occupation um but they you know there are black black OTs and OTs from other ethnic sort of minorities we are getting to positions of power um so again if you're an OT please 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 <laughs> please come on, yeah, come on board yeah definitely most proud of to date wow <laughs> things I was most proud of was actually becoming um uh band six so I believe they wanted 18 months of experience but I had a bit I had just under that um and I was given the post um, part of what I'm happy about is that I've got a good communication with the universities and I'm very involved in like not even OT students but you know people who want to become OTs or even healthcare professionals I'm very active in that role um, as well I've had different awards recognition of my work as well in COVID when awesome. I left awesome. yeah when I left Leicester and actually started in my new trust I just got a big envelope with a gift in it um, and it was recognition of work that I've um, uh, done in um, you know during Covid time so um, I am even though I'm just I'm a senior I'm a band six (laughs) I have done um, quite a few things that you know given that I've got so many rewards um from and uh hopefully there'll be more in the future when yeah, I get my band seven role I'm very involved in work with homeless people it's something that as a family my mum and dad brothers are very heavily involved and my mum sort of runs a, for my local church well before covid every Sunday morning they'll do a full English breakfast with cereal so my oh, mum sort wow. of leaders awesome. that uh, so I've sort of brought in a bit of OT, my holistic looking at a patient all around, not just their physical health, yeah. also their social mental health. I've brought a lot of that. And obviously after the COVID, I'll be more in, involved with that as well. And my auntie set up a um, stroke rehabilitation, actually just a rehabilitation um, centre in Nigeria, one of its first. Wow. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been heavily involved in that. Um, awesome. I was due to go last year. Yeah, but now, yeah. So hopefully, yeah, so hopefully this there. year I'll be able to get there and do some training. Um, so lots of things that I I do on the side and bring my expertise. Um, awesome. Wherever your expertise can transfer and to help 
you know the wider population to do mm. stories and tip you know and yeah. as I said from first when we had that telephone conversation I just felt your passion just to mm. help and to as you said to enable and to enable. empower people isn't empower it people to yeah. achieve occupations that they want to, to do to improve yeah. their quality of life really and you know just giving them that power the control over their health mm. you know the control over their minds control over you know whatever they want 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 want, want to do and you know to be well within them, themselves they may not appear well because of their past medical history mm. but in the current in the now you know am I enabling them to do what they they want to do um is that with equipment is that through care is that through you know having goals for them to work towards mm. is that through you know with working with A&E the goal is basically to try and get them home unless they're medically unwell that's the only time you'd be admitted if, unless you're medically unwell. Um, so, you know, trying to get them home because a lot of people with coronavirus are very, very fearful of being in hospital. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the push getting people home has <laughs> been ever stronger now. So, yes, I mean, if you want to be an OT, if you're all about the people, all Go about enabling, yeah. all about, you know, trying to help people get sound physical mind physical health um regardless of what sorts of comorbidities they have um empowering being kind and patient centered um just having a general interest in really well health and well-being of people if that's sort of your thing yes go for it what I've gathered is like there's many different opportunities to continuous learning, to upskill oh, and to acquire. Oh, yeah, knowledge. you need to maintain that. And that brings me, you need to maintain. I, even when I have students, I sort of drill it into them. They need to maintain what we call CPD or continuous professional development. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you're even registered with the healthcare professional um, council, you need to be registered in, in order to work, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to be registered to HCPC, just as um, doctors are registered to GMC and nurses are registered to NMC, um, you need to be registered to HPC, HCPC, mm -hmm. because they can even call you up for review. Go out there, uni, they can call you up for review. I hope, I, I heard they call a lot of people up in London, I just hope it's not me. Is <laughs> that someone will be called, but even <laughs> You are called you'd be yeah okay, i've got my portfolio already i yeah. got this yeah, yeah. it's fine I've got, I've got my port i've got mm. my portfolio so it's always mm. good to and it's always important to continue your professional development even if it's through courses if it's training even through like reflecting on what your day is or how you could better your practice and just typing a, typing it up and putting it in your um folder your portfolio folder um, do that because they can call you up and you need to show evidence that you're continually you know mm. um, you're continually um, progressing to so be registered with HC so when you're registered with HCPC then you can obviously practice within your first two years of qualification they won't call you up for review right okay so you've got enough time there to you've build yeah you've got 24 months and then <laughs> From then and on, then they can call you up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they paused it during COVID. Of course, yes. Wow. Yeah. But now, 
I suppose but now, oh, trying to get back to some the, the normality. Normality, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, it's always good to demonstrate that you're open. And again, when you go for interviews, when you go want to go further up in your banding, it's always good to show you know what you've done in the past. Yes. Definitely. Even as a band five, I remember when I went for my interviews, I went around with my CPD portfolio. This is what I've done. This is my experience. You know, this is why I'm employable <laughs> to you yes, and this world. Because what it's I have important. found is um, doing these interviews is that every single occupation, mm. even if it's an entrepreneur, they always said the importance of lifelong learning, CPD. Oh, yeah. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, that is a key thing that yes. I always tend to encourage, you know, listeners to do is to undertake that, which is really yes. important. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, very, very important. Very important. And um, even, you know, through your, and it's also good as well, because you sort of get to um, see, you know, your professional development and how much you achieved. Like, I, I remember... You know, whenever I have students, I just put myself in their shoes. I was like, oh my God, I remember my yeah. first day. I was so timid and I was so quiet. I mean, I was, how old was I? It's probably 18 or 19. And I was like, oh yeah. So, um, yeah, it was. Um... <laughs> that, I suppose, empathy, isn't it? Mm, you know what I mean? mm, it yeah. also um, enables you to possibly um be able to coach to mentor to guide them in mm. a much more um i'll say empathetic way to have a bit more compassion you know because you've yes. been there already type yes of thing, yes right? and that's one of the skills as an ot mm. you need to sort of empathize patience mm. endurance good communication because a lot with a lot of elderly patients and a lot of patients i see that they have dementia so their recall is not you know dementia is a very big thing as well yeah. They, they, they're not able to sort of communicate effectively because mm. the accurate information may not be accurate because they can't remember it. Right. So okay. it's all about um, sort of um, you work a lot with families. Mm. You work a lot with families and, you know, next of kin. Mm-hmm. It's sort of in my role mm-hmm. and in pediatrics as well. You work a lot with, patients, with parents. <laughs> You have to remember yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah. It's... Oh, it's not just your your patient you're working with. You learn a lot of just communicator skills in general, and then you work as a healthcare professional. You come across work with a lot of people. Hmm. Awesome! You have provided yeah. such a great insight of a into the life of an occupation. A snapshot. <laughs> I'm sure if you had a mental health OT, she will give you a different, <laughs> a different view. Yeah. Well, so, but um, your role is you're taking care of the mental and physical, so you're combining it into. Yeah, well, I'm looking at role. a person holistically. Holistically, yes, yeah. awesome. So yeah. as we wrap up now, um, what final words of encouragement would you say to somebody who's thinking of, you know, becoming an occupational therapist? Yeah, I would say do your research. What qualifications do you have to be able to get you in there? Because in GCSEs, you need to have, I can't remember, you need to have, is it? At least, you need to have a C in at least in, in English. Well, you need to have a C in English, Maths and Science, at least a C um and um, other I can't remember how many GCSEs you need to, to be able to get in but that's things that you can google um 
you yeah so make sure you do your research is this something you want to do does it fit into who you are and you know what your sort of um qualities are as well because that 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 is important in your job role um do you have enough qualifications to to do that do you know what sort of area you want to go into once you've finished um again location matters um so yeah all these sort of things and do it do it do it do it become an occupational therapist I love it. yeah do it, do, it, do it do it yeah it's a reward board come on board come on board come on board and you're thinking of becoming an AT do it do it you have provided such a great insight I know you said snapshot into mm. your role as an occupational therapist and I thank you so much it's been so comprehensive mm. you've given great advice you've given examples and everything now I understand the role of an occupational therapist everyone this is your host Sophia Lewis and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Employability Matters a careers and job related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work thank you for subscribing I very much appreciate your support and remember to share with your family and friends it would be appreciated if you could leave a great review on our YouTube channel, Anchor FM, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I will be back next week for another great episode. So until then, remember, employability matters.